From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. Hey, this morning I want to take a look at, at some scripture. I know that Easter is traditionally a, a morning where we will look at, at the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I love that, and I by no means want to minimize those things. But what's really on my heart is how many understand that, that the death and resurrection of Jesus had a purpose? And at times we can, we can look at that, and it's wonderful, and I love it. But it is at times easy to maybe even miss the purpose. The purpose kind of gets thrown in there as, a, as an, an amend, amendment to the, to the idea. I wanted to take just our time this morning and look at a passage of Scripture in Luke 15. One of the teachings of Jesus that he gives. And really the reason why I, I want to give that to us is I think in in this teaching, Jesus gives us the why of the cross. Like, why did the cross happen? Why was it necessary? What was it unto? There's a passage of Scripture that I think is really familiar to us. I want to paraphrase this idea, and we're going to come back to it a little bit in the end. You see, the Father was so deeply in love with the people He created that He decided He had to do something about their disconnect. And his answer was to let his son die instead of them. And by doing this, he would forever rebuild what their mistake had caused. Romans 5 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the human race. Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone. In Luke 15, the writer is capturing a phenomenon that's going on. There's something happening that is, it's so unique and so interesting that he feels the need to capture it. And what he, what he captures is this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, tax collectors being the 18th is, is tax day for us. How many are excited about that? Yes. Woo! Liars. <laughs> so we think IRS, we think taxes. That's really not what a tax collector was in this day and age. Tax collectors were a little more akin to the mafia. You say they still are. Well, um, we're not getting into the politics of that. We're just going to talk about the Bible today. So what a tax collector would do is, is the Roman government would parsec the city and they would sell off tax franchises. So these tax franchises would be like neighborhoods and, or, or, or subset communities, and a person could buy the business and say, I'll go on the hook for those taxes. And so let's say that a certain region of the city, let's say that their, that their tax levy was $10,000. That, that, that tax collector would say, I'll pay the ten grand, and then he would go extract and extort from that culture $100,000, keep the ninety. You can imagine that these were not well-loved people, but I don't want to focus on their character. I just want to focus a little bit on this is the kind of people that was around Jesus. Consider this. Consider one of these tax collectors coming into a home of a young family that's struggling to get ahead. 
They're looking at these kids that are not super well nourished because this family's fighting to get ahead. And this person would have the audacity to say, even though your tax bill is $100, I'm going to charge you 1000 and if you don't pay it, you're all going to jail. It's just, there was no compassion, no kindness. These are the kind of people that were gathering around Jesus. The next phrase, notorious sinners, literally means those devoted to sin. We would categorize them as, as thieves, as prostitutes, as murderers, people that absolutely have zero regard for anything God said. Something about Jesus was causing those kind of people to not just get around him, but they were sticking around to listen. They were comfortable when he talked. Which tells me there was something that he was sharing with them that was revelation. There was something he was sharing with them that was very, very different than what they'd been hearing from the religious communities. How many grew up in a religious system, culture, where you felt like there was a lot of do's and don'ts? How many have been really, really well acquainted with that feeling of, I'm not good enough? I'm kind of a bad person. I mean, I'm not going to call you out. I'm just letting you. I just want to paint a picture and show us something. That most of what we do when we approach God as people, we begin to either it's external voices or it's an internal voice, and they're all declaring the same thing. You're not good enough. You're not enough. He's not happy with you. So something about what Jesus was doing was causing these people to stick around. So we know for sure he wasn't telling them they were sinners because they already knew that. Nobody's going to stick around. If I stood here this morning and said, you're all sinners, you're all going to hell, you would be right to stand up and walk out. That wasn't what Jesus was doing either. And so there's a group of people, the religious community in this time, that are very frustrated. The Pharisees were very irritated. They couldn't even believe that Jesus was hanging out with them, and they were completely missing the point. And so this passage in Luke 15, Jesus looks at these religious leaders, and he, he says, I'm going to share three stories. He doesn't tell them that. He just begins to share stories. And these stories that he shares are aimed at them because he wants them to understand somehow they're missing the point. The first story he shares is a parable. A parable, if you don't understand what a parable is, it's a fictitious story intended to communicate a point. It's like an allegory. And so in every parable, there are, there are subjects that stand in the gap for something. They represent something. So Jesus starts with the parable of the lost sheep. And his parable goes like this. Which, you know, there, there's a certain shepherd who has sheep and and he has a hundred sheep, and one of those sheep strays off. And, and so he leaves the 99, and he goes, and he does whatever it takes to find the one. And then he turns to them and says, wouldn't you also leave the 99 and go after the one? And he, and he likens it, and he says, in the same way, heaven rejoices when one lost person comes back more than it does over 99 that have never strayed. And so he asks this fairly preposterous question. Now a sheep in this story is a person who's separated from God, whether it's by their own choosing or circumstances. The shepherd represents Father God. 
And Jesus' question, wouldn't you leave the 99 for the one? And he doesn't ask it like, hey, I really am curious, would you? He's asking it with the assumption of, yes, you would. And my statement to that is, no, I would not. That's bad math. Think about this. This is a nomadic culture. These shepherds would go out for multiple days at a time on trek. They, weren't, they didn't have these cool barns with stables and fenced-in areas. They were heading out into the wild, into the wilderness, and they're out with their animals, and they're, they're the only lifeline those animals have. They're the only protection those animals have. And so they would do an audit daily to make sure that they hadn't lost one overnight, make sure something hadn't been taken away. And so Jesus says, well, all of you would naturally leave the 99 unprotected to go after the one, wouldn't you? My answer is no, I don't think I would. Because I think I would come back and find that 99 were now 92. And that just seems like bad stewardship. But in this story, Jesus approaches this idea as if it's completely normal. And he moves on to another story about a lost coin. This one makes more sense to us because it's about money and it's kind of our love language in our culture. And so we get it. And he says, a, a woman has 10 coins and she loses one. And the word he uses for coin here is drachma in the Greek and it was equivalent to a day's wage. So I don't know about you, if I lose a day's wage in my house somewhere, there is no couch cushion that is safe. I'm gonna be hunting for that. My children's rooms are gonna be turned upside down to figure out who stole my money. That part's not hard to figure out. What's difficult to figure out is Jesus asks a question in this text. He said, when she finds it, she's going to call in her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her because she's found her lost coin. Now, the implications in the narrative, when you call and invite people into your home, you're throwing a party. This is a, a hospitality idea where she's calling everybody in to celebrate with her that she, that she found her money. I just have a concern with that. Why would you spend all day and night looking for money only to invite a bunch of people and spend the money because you found it? So what's the point of these stories? Why is Jesus asking this? Whether it makes sense to us or not, Jesus is clearly communicating something. There is a value system in heaven that we need to understand. And so he, he inverts these parables and he makes it seem like the sheep and the coin are the subjects of the parable, but they're really not. The subject of these parables is the value system of the one who is searching. They're about what matters to him. And the Pharisees weren't getting it. Somehow, these two really strong ideas have been laid in front of them, and there's still a blank stare. They're still stuck. They still can't figure out why Jesus is hanging out with these dirty people. And so he moves into another story, a story about a lost son. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. 
The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. So Jesus shifts the narrative away from sheep and away from money. And it's now about a father-son relationship. And this son does something that in this culture would have been incredibly offensive in a culture that was driven by patriarchs, where, where, the, where the man was the foundation of the family. This son does what is akin to saying, drop dead. He just says, as far as I'm concerned, you're already dead. I want what's coming to me when you die because I'm going to distance myself. And he takes off. To everyone listening to this, there would have been an, an incredible offense, incredible sense of that is so bad, that is so wrong. And I'd love to just submit a couple ideas that come up here. This young man makes a sin choice, makes a choice to go live the way he thinks he wants to live. And, and what's hidden in here is just a simple principle. We never really get what sin promises us. A lot of us have made choices. We've lived into ideas that were in our minds and in our hearts. And, and then we have a day where we wake up and realize... I didn't get at all what I thought I was going to get. It didn't work out for me. We end up broken, and our lives are incredibly complicated. So there's this little idea hidden in this narrative. But I want to call our attention to some language in this, where this young man says, I'm no longer worthy. And the reason I want to highlight that is I think it's a place that some of us live. Because of dumb choices, because of sin patterns, we have dangerously lost sight of our identity. And we've now begun to believe that because of my history, because of what I've done, I am not what I was. I'm less than. And we, like this young man, we want to kind of talk to the father and say, look, I know I'm not, you're not proud of me, I'm not who I was, just, just let me hang out, please. And then there's this beautiful phrase that Jesus shares as he goes on. Says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. To understand the language when he says, bring the finest robe, bring the ring, bring the sandals, all of these in this culture were unique qualifiers of sonship. They were what declared that he was a son of the house. The ring gave him the authority of the father that everywhere he went, he could walk in that authority. The clothing made, identified him with that house so everyone would see and know when he was a long ways off, this, is, this son belongs to this man. The sandals were something that was reserved for those that had resource and had finance. So undoubtedly, we know because he said get sandals for his feet, this young man had lost everything he had. And Jesus in a moment flips this story and it's no longer about the son it's still again like the sheep like the coin this story is about the father and i just want to consider the language that jesus uses because my concern for us is that we need to understand 
the heart of the Father towards us. Otherwise, we're in danger of living like this son in a belief system that he's angry at me, he doesn't want to be around me, and we allow those things to fuel our drives and to fuel our life, and instead of being with him like he wants, we end up extricated from his presence, living out somewhere else, just trying to make it. So listen to these ideas. While he was still a long distance away, so you can picture the father, what had to have been happening? Here's what we have to ask. What was going on for this father to be positioned to see the son? This couldn't have been a random moment where he just walks out and accidentally comes across the son coming up the drive. No, I would say what this really reveals is that the father had systematically, regularly, daily been standing there waiting and waiting and waiting in hope that his son would return. And what we see in that is a simple point. The father looks for us before we look for him. And no matter where we're at, no matter what sin pattern we're in, no matter what brokenness we're in life, we need to know this. Our Father is looking for us. And you see, that fights everything that we feel. What we feel is that instead of looking for us, our Father is in his den, he's in his study, he's angry, he doesn't want to talk to us, we've let him down, we, we've ruined his name. How dare we have the audacity to come back? And what he says is, no, 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 you've completely misunderstood this Father of mine. My father is looking and waiting and watching. Why? The next phrase is very important. He's filled with love and compassion. This gives us an understanding of the condition of the heart of the father towards the son. That he's not there frustrated and angry. He's not there waiting to ask him, do you understand what you did wrong? Are you sure? Can I help you? What kind of punitive things can I put into your life to make sure that you understand the stupidity of your ways? No, it says he's filled. The word filled in the Greek is to overflow with love and compassion. We understand the Kodak moment in this. He's blubbering. He's sobbing because what was lost is now back. And I would say this. Some of us have never really grabbed onto this reality. Our Father in heaven carries us in his heart at all times. I would love for you to understand there is a tender place in the heart of God for you. And so often, we look at the history of our lives and we just assume, I'm a disappointment to him. We just assume, I could have, I should have, I wish I had, but I'm not. So I'm just going to put my head down and do my best to just live this out because I've let him down. And the father says, quick, quick, bring the finest robe. And he begins to restore everything that had been let go, everything that had been lost. The son didn't lose it accidentally. The son lost it maliciously, intentionally, walked away from it. What he said was, I don't want you. I don't want this stuff. I want what I want. And some of us have lived that choice. But we don't understand this. Our Father is still doing what He did here, which is He is eager to restore us in every way. Some of us, yeah, we're in the kingdom, but we've, we're looking at our history and our past decisions and the stupid things in our life. And how many are like me? You've got a few. And we just assume that I'm not 
what I could have been because. And that's a lie. Because our Father has a, an agenda to restore everything that He created us to be. See, the Father was so deeply in love with people that, he cre- that the ones He created, that He decided to do something about their disconnect. And His answer was to let His Son die in their place, forever rebuilding what their mistake had caused. What is Jesus trying to reveal? Jesus is trying to reveal to them the reason the cross would happen is because there's a Father in heaven who desperately wants relationship with us. You matter to Him. You're not just another number. You're not just a person in a chair. You are fearfully, wonderfully, and uniquely made. And I would submit to us that it's time that we identify with the beauty of how much our Father loves us so we can live into every dream He has for us. Because we have an enemy that loves to whisper, you're not good enough, you're not enough, you've let him down. In hopes that we will align with that, we'll begin to think, you know what, you're right, I am, I'm a disappointment. And so then I start living more like a disappointment, and I'm just saying, stop. Jesus was real clear. There's a value system in the one who's searching for you. Whether you're way disconnected and you've never given your life to the Lord or whether you're here and, and, and you're, you've given your life to the Lord but you just still live kind of disconnected because you're still convinced you're not good enough. For all of us, the message is the same. Our Father loves us dearly, deeply, and has a passion to restore us to everything He wants us to be. Stand with me this morning. I want to take bread and cup. We have bread and cup tables in the front and in the back. And I know there's a lot of us, so it's going to take patience. But I want to take bread and cup for a reason. When we hold these elements, we hold the piece of bread, we hold the cup. These are symbols of what Jesus did on the cross. The bread represents his body that he willingly, freely gave. See, that's what this John 3.16 paraphrase says. His father said to him, They have brokenness and they can't fix it. I want you to fix it. So Jesus comes and he takes on our sin. He takes on our shame and he freely offers his body. Yeah, that was a good point to cheer at. I agree. (laughs) And the the cup represents the blood that he shed. We see it it come down from his brow, from the crown of thorns. We see it from his wrist, from his ankles. We see it from his side. We see it from his back that was beaten. Because we understand if we study the Old Testament, there's a verse that comes out, there's an idea and a principle that says, there is no dealing with sin unless blood is shed. And so the answer was, either you and I figure out how to bleed for our sin enough to atone for it, or God puts a stand in and says, his blood's going to sacrifice for you. And so Jesus says, I'll do it. As difficult and as ugly as this is going to be, I'll do it. I'll let my life spill out. So all of them go free. I would love to tell you, no matter where you're at in life, your sin has already been paid for. Your father is as passionate about you now as he ever has been or he ever will be. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. He loves you so much that your name was on his heart 
He was filled with love and compassion, looking at the moment when you would step back in and go, I need to be with you. Because what he's after is he just wants to talk. He wants to live life with you. He's not mad at you. Romans 1 says that God dealt with his sin, his anger at sin. One time he dealt with it at the cross. From there on out, his answer is, I don't know what they're still worried about. I already dealt with their issues. Because he wants to restore us. Some of us are still walking in brokenness and we need to get it restored so we can live the life and the dream. I just tell you this, life inside the kingdom, way better than life outside the kingdom. Regardless of your situation, your father is absolutely eager to make everything new in your life. So if you're here, you say, you know what, I, need to, I really want to just say yes and give my life to the Lord. Cool. That's all you got to do. Say, I want, Father, I want, I want to do this thing. I want to live in relationship with you. I'm tired of being away. If you've made that statement today, you made that commitment today, would you do something really difficult and tell somebody? Let them know. But as we take the bread and the cup in family units and friendship groups, let's be sensitive, pray for each other. If there's somebody there, you say, I want somebody to pray for me. Just, there's no, everybody in this room would be excited to pray for you. But if you're here and you've been living in shame, even though you're in the kingdom, you're like, I'm just not good enough. Can we just, can we just before God, all of us, ask him to forgive us for aligning with the enemy instead of what he says? And allow the peace of God to come over us. Allow the smile of your Father to come over you. Father, as we take bread and cup this morning, we just invite you, Holy Spirit. We invite you to be here with us. Settle in. Speak to our hearts. Father, my goal is that all of us leave here and we've come back home. We're back where we belong, face to face with you. We love you today. All right, let's take bread and cup. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at vintagecitychurch.com.